You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Romans chapter 1 this evening. And uh, we, we, last time we were in this series, we were in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and uh, we looked at how Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And uh, I'm telling you, that's a truth that we may get used to hearing about, but that truth is vital to withstanding the pressure of life. We must have our inward man renewed day by day. And we talked about how these, these columns of strength that strengthen the bridges of our life are, are a dis- disciplined mind and a disciplined body. And you need both of those. Uh, I, I think we, we may lose sight of how important it is to have a disciplined mind and a disciplined body uh, to withstand the pressures of life. Anybody in here have any area of your life that applies a little bit of pressure to your life? Anybody? Go ahead and raise your hand if it's true for you. Okay, so these messages on Wednesday nights are meant to help us with those things. We've been looking at in this series based on Jim Berg's book, Quieting a Noisy Soul. And uh, we're going to go back to Romans 1 and look at a principle that we've actually looked at, but I want to look at it in more detail. And I'm not, not really sure why we're revisiting necessarily, except that maybe it would just, maybe the way that I'll present it tonight might maybe strike a chord with you again because this is very important. Romans chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And as we go, th- go through this, don't miss the fact that God says they, they have an understanding of the truth. There's an understanding, there's a... There's knowledge of the truth. And, you know, you'll hear people say that maybe they don't believe in God or, you know, they're not, they're, they're not for God. And they say, well, I don't believe it. Um, but according to these verses, there's enough evidence in creation and in a man's conscience for them to say there is a God. They must, they must come to a point where they reject it uh, more than they just don't believe it. And verse, eight, verse 19, it says, because that which may be known of God is, is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And this is the principle that I want to focus on, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And so tonight, I just want to look, as we review in more detail, this root of this root in our lives of, of anger, despair, uh, anxiety, all of these things. The root is always traced back to some level of unbelief. There's a, cho- a choice not to believe the revelation of God on some level 
And I hope to, to use that tonight to confront the noise in our souls. Let's pray. Father, we do need you tonight. We pray that you would bless this time and help our minds to, to be open. And I don't know what people have brought in here tonight. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't know what I sense, but God, maybe I pray that you'd help us to engage. God, if we're here, uh, we might as well, Lord, tune in. And, that, and I pray that you would use this to be a help to us tonight. And that we would take seriously your word. God, use it and speak to us and help us to submit to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's the root of unbelief that causes us to disintegrate into so many other problems. That's the premise that Jim Berg makes in a book. And again, I, I have not preached a, a series like this before where I'm using material in a, in a, really I use it for a counseling book, but I've not done this before. And so you'll bear, if you'll bear with me as I present this, I, uh, you know, I think it's just a help to us if we can, if we can grasp the concept that Mr. Berg um, is trying to get. So uh, he has a chart that he created. I'd like to use to maybe illustrate the process of unbelief in our lives. Do we have that, that chart tonight uh, ready? Hopefully we do. Uh, it's a little bit small, um, but, but, but if you'll notice, it looks a little bit like a baseball diamond here, and, and, uh, and there's a box that kind of kicks the process off there at the very top. I'll try to make this bigger next time. I've got this fancy pointer. I don't, I'm not even sure if it, it, if it works. Yeah, it's not bright enough. So at the top, you've got this box that says unbelief. And, and, and he calls it the great disorder of the heart. And in that unbelief, and we'll see how this process plays out, that unbelief then leads down to these other areas of life like discontentment, anxiety, and anger, and despair. And, and, I, and I, so tonight I just want to look at um, especially that first box of unbelief because and we're just going to leave this up tonight um, and and I'll refer to it as we go because unbelief is where our problems begin it's where if you look at Romans if you think about what Romans 1 says um, Paul says that our their spiritual lives in Romans 1 disintegrated when they rejected something they knew to be true of God and they replaced it with what Paul calls vain imaginations they had access to truth. They had access to something that was revealed to them. Uh, they, they could see creation and they had in their own conscience this, this evidence that there is a creator to answer to, but they chose, it says they changed. That means they exchanged the truth of God. They rejected the truth of God and they accepted a lie. And, and that unbelief is the great disorder of our hearts. Uh, unbelief is, is properly named. He says it's a disorder because it accepts the reasoning of fallen man and elevates it over the revelation of God. And if you think about it, then it is disorder because it's out of order. When, when our reason, when our logic is elevated above the revelation of God, then it's disorder. For example, God says something like this, this is what I'm like, I love you always. And who believes that's true? 
Okay? We believe it's true that God always loves us. But what are, the, what are the conversations often that go on in our heads? Well, but he doesn't love me. Or he doesn't love me right now. Or he doesn't love me today. Or he doesn't love me because of that thing that I did. No, what we've chosen is we've taken the view, uh, what we view to be true, that God doesn't love me in this instance. And we've exalted it above what God says is true about himself. And that's, that's the disorder, that things are out of order. Our imaginations are exalted above truth. And it's the exact same thing that, that the unsaved do in Romans 1. And we do it too. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. And, and I want you to look at Isaiah. We'll, we'll turn to a few places. Turn to Isaiah chapter 55 tonight. Isaiah chapter 55. And we'll read a couple of verses here. Isaiah chapter 55, Old Testament, page 485, if you have the right Bible. Isaiah 55. So let's, let's look down in verse 7. Well, just for context, we'll start in verse 6. We want to focus 7 through 9. Look at 50, Isaiah 55, verse 6. It says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And, and let him return is the idea and return to our God for he will abundantly pardon. I love that verse. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And, and we, we don't have time to really just dig here, but God is saying it is wicked to exalt your ways and your thoughts above my ways and my thoughts. It's wicked. But I, I do want you to notice through this, God has a balanced disposition here. Because he does say, if you'll come to me, I will abundantly pardon. And because there are plenty of people that look at God like an unmerciful taskmaster, but, but he's often made out to be something that he is not. He is, he is a merciful, forgiving God who wants us to be in fellowship with him. And the point that he's making here is we have a wicked tendency... To reject truth about God, his ways, his thoughts, and replace them with our own thoughts. And that, friends, that's unbelief. See, the truth is, it can be easy to question the things we know about God. We, we tend to ask questions like, is it really true that, that God has spoken? I mean, is, is, his, word, is his word really binding like that? Uh, does God actually care? Will he do what he says? Is sin always as bad as he says it is? Is holiness as important as he says? And we go through these questions and we try to ex we, we exchange. Remember, we've got our ways, we've got our thoughts, and we elevate our ways and thoughts above the revelation of, of God. And it's dangerous when we question what we know to be true about God. And it, it's, you know, there are certain things that are, that are certain visible sins that are easy to, to point out. 
I mean, if, you, if you've got an issue with telling a lie, that's a pretty clear violation. You can see it happen. If you've got an issue with your tongue, with your mouth, and, and swearing, for instance, that's clear. It's a clear, uh, uh, visible thing. I, I mean, if, if you get an altercation with somebody, it's obvious. You know, though, it's not as easy to recognize sin in the shadows. And when we ask questions or we question revelation of God and we replace truth about God with our own reason and our own logic and our questions, to me, that is sin in the shadows. That's harder to put your finger on. That's harder. I mean, if I, if I, you know, if, if I uh, say something I shouldn't, that's easy to put my finger on. But if in my heart of hearts I'm questioning whether or not God loves me because he allowed something to happen to me, that's sin in the shadows. That's harder to single out. It's harder to point that out as a sin. And that's why this is so, such a dangerous habit. We need to be continually be on guard for the sins that lurk in the shadows. The unbelief. It's easy to point to the outward things in our lives. And, you know, he even lists them up here. Discontentment and anxiety and anger and despair. And we, we often look at those and we say, that's my problem. But those outward things are revealers of unbelief in our hearts. It's the sin and the shadows that we must trace our problems to. And many people, many issues in people's lives, I should say, are called disorders. I think it's a good label because they're rooted in the great disorder, which is unbelief. It should be no surprise to us that what they might call psychiatric disorders or psychological disorders are exploding these days. If you look at numbers post-COVID of people that are, people that are on anti-anxiety drugs and, and people that are going to counseling for anxiety and, and all of these things, you would, I mean, it's shocking the numbers, how much they're rising. Well, you know, it's, 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 it's shocking, but it really isn't surprising because God promised it would be that way when we exchange the truth of God for a lie, which our culture is doing at rapid rates right now. We are, we are kicking God out of our thought processes and we're replacing him with, with you know, humanistic and socialistic and all of these other ideas that are man-centered. And God is, is exiting the scene by force, by, cold, or by our culture. We live in a culture that's replacing biblical truth with man's reason. It's happening all the time. It should not surprise us then that these issues are are popping up uh, at, at record rates. You know, it's, but it also is grieving because the fact is God's people are dealing with these kinds of disorders as much as belie- unbelievers are. It's not just unbelievers that are exchanging the truth of God for lies. We do it too. You know, I acknowledge God didn't give us this chart, but, but I do think it, it does point it out in a good way. It illustrates in a good way what really happens. And I want to look at a couple of example, examples of this. Look over in Numbers chapter 20. Brother Jeremy has preached out of Numbers a couple of times lately, and he's, he actually pretty much covered this message here too. And so I appreciate him laying the groundwork. Um, but, you know, when you have two, two messages close together that are pretty similar, then I think probably it's the Lord's way of telling us that we need to pay attention to something. 
But here we are in Numbers chapter 20. And, and just to give you an idea of what hap is happening here, um, you know, this is the example of, of Moses leading the children of Israel to Kadesh. And, and they had no water, so they start murmuring against Moses and Aaron. And that happens all the time in the, in the wilderness wanderings of the children of Israel. So God told Moses to speak to the rock. And, and that rock would provide water. But in anger, you remember what Moses did? What did he do? He struck the rock. He struck it twice. Rather than speaking to it, the Bible says in anger, he struck it. And, and I want you to notice, did God judge Moses because of his anger? Well, no, look down in verse, in verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because ye believed me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them what is what does God say that that Moses is being judged for is Moses being judged because he got angry no God says no because ye believed me not God told Moses to speak to the rock Moses had anger and God didn't judge him for anger he judged him because he believed not he had unbelief and because of his unbelief, he didn't get to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Anger wasn't the issue God dealt with. It was unbelief. And you know, God made that connection right here. That's not on the chart because it's, God didn't do that because the chart says. No, the chart says that because God did that. Look over at, at Mark chapter 4. We're back in the New Testament. Mark chapter 4. Let me just look at a couple of, of examples of this. Mark chapter 4, verse 40. <coughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. This is the story of the disciples in the boat. A great storm of wind and waves beat the ship. It became full and, and they, they think they're going to sink. And Jesus, remember where Jesus was? He was down in the bottom of the boat. He, he, was, he was, you know, they thought he didn't care. They come to him and says, Master, carest thou now that we perish? Don't you care about us? And, and what does Jesus say? Look at verse 40. Well, after he calms the, the storm, by the way, wouldn't that have been amazing to see? Peace be still, three words, and there is great calm. Verse 40. And he said unto them, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Un no, notice that Jesus Christ doesn't, doesn't say, let's, let's deal with your fear. We need to deal with your fear. Why are you, you know, he says, why are you so fearful? He said, there's something beyond your fear that we need to deal with. Why are you so fearful? He says, how is it that ye have no faith? So what does Jesus say is at the root of their fear? Unbelief. They don't have faith. He, he, and, and it doesn't make sense to deal with the fear if the fear is a result of unbelief. He wants to go straight to their faith and talk about their faith. Jesus made that connection. Unbelief is often mentioned when people in the Bible deal with emotional distress. It's all through the scripture. And when God's not in the picture, it leads to unbelief, which leads to these other problems. And here's what it comes down to, the lie, the fantasy world in which the vain imagination, remember Romans 1, that we replace God's truth with, um, the, the, the lie of the great disorder is, that, is this phrase, and it's listed here. Um, it's written out. It says, God is not doing enough for me. 
God himself is not enough for me. And I need something more. And Brother Jeremy's message, again, from a few weeks ago, that he dealt with on contentment is very similar to this. And it's, but it's a message we must continually remind ourselves of, that God is more than enough. God is enough for me. Because we have a tendency to assume he's not. And that's why we've spent a few services talking about how the knowledge of God is the key to battling these, these things. Because do you realize if the more that you know about God, the more confidence you will have in him? If you learn about him and you grow in him and you grow in the knowledge of God, there, there should be no doubt in your mind that he can take care of your every need, that he is enough for you. Now, it kind of reminds me, you know, when, when, you first, when you first get married. And for those of you that aren't married, you know, someday you might think this, you know, you get married and you think all we need is love. <laughs> love is all we need. You know, who needs a roof? We have love. Who needs money? Who needs food? We have Love And after, you know, a, a certain time, like 24 hours, you realize that's not reality. It doesn't take you long to realize that love is, I mean, you, maybe you like that song, but love is not all you need. Is love a good thing? Well, it, it, I mean, yes, it is. But it's not enough. And, and I don't want to sound like a cliche, uh, but God is enough. And Job, I mean, Job found that out. You could lose everything. You could lose your house, you could lose your flocks, you could lose your children, you could lose your health and your wealth. And yet Job still said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And Job was saying, there's a lot of things I can do without. Frankly, Job was saying, I could do without everything, but I cannot do without God. He is enough and he's the only thing that's enough. So this idea that God is not doing enough for me and he's not enough for me and I need something more, that is a lie. It reveals that we don't know God well enough because if you knew him well, you'd know he's enough. Here's the disorder. See, we, we tend to interpret what we believe about God through our experiences instead of interpreting our experiences through what we know about God. I'll say it this way, you will, listen, you will come to the wrong conclusions about God if you view him first through your circumstances. You must view your circumstances through what you know about God. But we have a tendency to view, uh, to, to look at our circumstances and to look at God through our circumstances and it's flipped upside down, it's a disorder. If we reject what God says is true, we are choosing to live in a fantasy world of imagination. And it's a world where God does not love, that God does not love us. But I'm telling you, a world in which God does not love you does not exist. And if you believe that, it's a fantasy. A world in which God is not in control of all things and for our good and for his glory, that world does not exist. If you believe that, then you live in a fantasy world because that world doesn't exist. A world where God is not with me or does not hear my cry when I'm humble or, or when I'm afraid or when I have a heavy heart, that world does not exist because he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, the Bible says. He said that. 
A world where God is heavy-handed and unmerciful and mean-spirited. That world does not exist. Remember what God said in Isaiah. So many people think, you know, if I mess up once, he's done with me. But what he said in Isaiah is, if you come to me, I will pardon you. I will forgive you. And if we continue to operate in ways in which God doesn't exist, it will only lead to the disintegration of our spiritual lives. To live in a fantasy world is to hasten our spiritual downfall. And we need to live in the real world focused on truth about God. You know, and I think sometimes we have it backwards. See, I think sometimes we consider what's out there to be the real world. We consider to be what's out there outside these walls. We consider that that's the real world. And, 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 you know, what happens in here isn't real. But when we get back out to reality, you know, then we really have a, have a reality check. No, the real world is no, what is known of God. The real world is what is real about God. That is reality. I used to tell our campers, we'd take young people to the camp in the summertime and we'd take them uh, away for a week and, and they would just have lots of preaching and, and they would have to leave their phones, which, you know, is like cutting off a limb for a young person these days. You know, can you imagine going somewhere without your phone? Well, some of us can't imagine what it was like to have a phone before we were 40. So, I mean, phones are relatively new, although this generation doesn't realize that. But we would go, we would go to camp and we would hear preaching for a week and, and, and young people would start making good decisions and, and God is working and God is moving. And toward the end of the week when God was doing a work in their lives, I would say something like this. Young people understand um, we're in the real world right now. This is real. This is reality. And a lot of people will tell you, well, when you get back into the real world, that's when the rubber meets the road. No, the real world is when God is working in your life and the truth of God is clear to you and you see things clearly, you see yourself for who you are and you see God for who he is. That's reality. We have it backwards. And I think it happens too. You know, we homeschool our children and, and I, you know, however the Lord leads you to, to, to school your children is up to you. My philosophy is homeschool, Christian school, public school, whatever it is, you as the parent are responsible. It is your responsibility. We happen to homeschool our children. That's, those were the opportunities available to us, and so we've almost always done that, and so we do that. And, and, uh, and yet I've had people tell me this, and maybe you have too. He's like, man, how, how are you going to prepare a child for the real world if they're homeschooled it's like well you can't you don't get to wear pajamas every day to work i mean what's that i mean is that what you're saying no no they have it backwards see i'm not saying that if you homeschool your children they're going to be ready for the real world and i'm not saying if they go to public school they're not going to be ready for the real world you see whatever we choose to do with educating our children what we have to realize is that educating their mind although it's a good thing if we do not educate them spiritually and morally they will, it doesn't matter what school they go to they will not be ready for the real world and if we don't prioritize their walk with god as young people, they're not going to be ready for the real world. And that's why so many of our young people, when they graduate high school and they get out into the world, they don't have a walk with God and they, they don't have a relationship on their own and the world chews them up and spits them out. 
I'm not saying that's true every time, but I believe that happens. It is be, we need to make sure that we are educating our children, not just mentally, but spiritually, morally. If they have a walk with God, that, you know, that's the best way to prepare them for what we might call the real world. A young person without a walk with God, in spite of their education, is not prepared for that. So we, we, we must fight against this tendency um, to, to have vain imaginations and live in a fantasy world. We must fight against that with truth. So we go back to the chart. It, you know, unbelief, it tells us um, that God is not doing enough for me. It tells us God himself is not enough for me. I need something more. You know, if we operate in that box, then we're going to find ourselves in the next box, which is discontentment. So how do you battle these kinds of thoughts that God isn't enough? Well, let's look over to Philippians chapter 4. And really, this message was, uh, there are two parts. This is kind of part number one. I realized it was going to take longer than I thought. So this is just the introduction. Be thankful. We're going to come back next Wednesday. So Philippians chapter 4. How do you battle this constant thought about discontentment and about how God is not enough? What, what truth do you need to know? Well, let me give you one truth. Philippians 4, verse 19. It says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus. You know what that means? It means that God will always meet my genuine needs. Always. I'll always have what I need in my Heavenly Father. You say, well, I mean, I was, I was on my way to church and I slid on ice and, and I, I landed my car in the ditch on the way to church. And Are you saying that's what I need? Well, I mean, if I'm going to believe that truth, then I'm saying, yeah, that's, I guess that's what you need because that's what you got. You know, he said, I promise to give you everything you need. So if I, if I believe that truth, then whatever happens in my life that's outside of my control, then I have to trust that God knew. And God allowed it. And it's not always that God does it, like we saw with the example of Job, God didn't do those things to Job, but there are times where he allows them. And if I believe a truth like Philippians 4.19, then I have to believe that whatever I face, that God allows is what he wants for me. He, he wants to see my response. He wants to use it to grow me. And we can question those things and we can be upset with all that, you know, all that we want about those things. But he made the promise. And if we reject that, then you start to plant seeds of unbelief in your life. You say, well, that's true for everybody else. But, you know, this happened to me. And you start to think, but, I mean, God, surely God couldn't have done, allowed that. Not, not in my life. That surely that couldn't have been from God. No, you're planting seeds of unbelief in your life. You must accept that a loving, wise, sovereign, and sufficient God gives you what you need and gives you what you have. And if you have unbelief about that out in center field, then it will always lead you to discontentment. And we're going to look at that more next time. But as a way to tie this up, think about how these two things relate. 
uh, the, the idea of unbelief and discontentment. The unbelieving heart, again, it says, I need more from God. And as a result, so let's say a person starts to focus on what they think they have to have. And as that person focuses on what they think they have to have, they become discontent. But is their problem discontentment? No, their problem is unbelief. Because they've chosen on some level, whether or not they would ever say it, to believe that God is not enough for me. And it creates a fantasy world not rooted in reality, and the result is noise. In this case, disappointment. Let me just give you an example here. Let's say your neighbor gets, a, gets your dream car. I mean, I don't know, anybody have a dream car in here? Josiah, what's your dream car? His dream car is a skateboard. Okay, let's see, who else? Probably, it's probably true, right, Brother Dana? What's your dream car? RX what? RX-8, a Mazda RX-8, okay. Um, so that's his dream car. Let's say his neighbor gets a Mazda RX-8. And they, they pull up one day to, to their driveway and Josiah, he stops whatever dangerous activity he's doing in that moment to watch this Mazda pull up. And his jaw drops and he starts thinking about that car. And he sees it and he thinks, if I had that, I could, I could be happier. It's not like he's saying, I'm unhappy. He's just thinking, if I had that, I could be happier. And so he starts saving up his money for the Mazda RX-8. Um, but it's taken a while. You know, things come up, he's got to pay for things, and this happens, this happens. So the money he needs for that, that car, it's not coming fast, and he doesn't have it yet. But remember, a while back, he started thinking that that Mazda RX-8 was the key to his getting happier because his neighbor, he's always smiling when he's driving his. So if he's smiling when he's driving his, then I would be smiling if I had one to drive too. So in Josiah's brain, he begins thinking, you know what, I need that. And you know what he's really doing? He's saying, God's not good enough for me. And he say, I would never say that. No, but, by, but if you believe the truth that God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, then any time I come to a place and I say, well, I really wish I had that, I am saying that what God has supplied is not enough. And that is a seed of unbelief in my life which will only then produce more discontentment and more noise. And pretty soon... Josiah's life will be marked by discontentment at what he wants and anger at what he's missing and anxiety because he's wondering how he's going to get the money and despair because he thinks there's no hope for him to ever have that car and he'll never be happy and it's just noise, noise. Whereas if Josiah would go back to the lie of unbelief at the very beginning and say, no, I choose not to believe that lie. God is God. If I believe that God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, then I don't need that car to be happier. And I refuse to believe that. I don't, I don't think I have to have a Mazda RX-8 to be content. And if you do that, then you won't be worried about something you, you have to have. It doesn't bother you because you don't have to have it. And if you're thoroughly content, folks... 
then you won't be angry at what you don't have. If you're thoroughly content, then you won't be depressed because you don't have something. And if you're thoroughly content, then you won't be anxious about how to get it. And this applies to every other desire too. This applies like having the perfect marriage. And we think, oh, you know, they have a perfect marriage. Nobody has a perfect marriage, by the way. So for us to say, if I could just have that, I'd be happier. No, that's a lie. And very soon you're going to exchange the truth of God for a lie because you'll be saying, God's not good enough for me. I want that. Or you might say, if I had just had that job, or if I just had those hours, if I just had that bigger house, if I just had a three-car garage, okay, that one's justified. If, if you really, that is one that God is okay with. If I just had more friends, if I just had a friend, I would be happier. No, anything that, folks, Anything that you want and think will satisfy you in some unverbalized way is, is un, some unverbalized way of stating God's not enough. Discontentment drives all of these emotions and discontentment is rooted in unbelief. So my question to you tonight is, what are you convinced that you need to make you a little bit happier? What object, what person, what situation... What location, what possession, what status, what car? If you can name something, then you have a root of unbelief in your life. And because you've essentially then looked at God and said, you're not enough. Say, I would never say that. Well, maybe, but that's what you're saying. If you have to, if you have to have or have to be or have to experience in whatever it is, you name it, it's the same thing as saying God isn't enough. I need more than what I have. And listen, if that's the case, get ready for noise. And, and next time we're going to look more at the danger of discontentment. But for tonight, I think it'd be good for us to examine ourselves. To determine if there's an area of discontentment. Because if there is, don't stop at the discontentment. Remember, you've got to take it one step above. And you've got to go back to a root of unbelief. And isolate what it is that you're telling yourself that is not true about God. Why are you discontent? It's not just because I, I, I want that. I don't have it. No, it's because I've decided that what God has provided for me is not enough. So here's the response. If you don't want the noise, decide that what God provides is enough. And ask him to change your heart about something. And I, I want to go back to, you know, just think about a few weeks back, a takeaway from James chapter 1. And I've used this probably more than I should already, but it's a help. It's been a help to me. God is good. And his gifts are good enough for me. And we need to remember that truth every single day. Because it'll keep us from unbelief, which will prevent discontentment and despair and anger and anxiety and all of those other things. And the reason I say you need to go back to revisit that truth every day is because Paul said, as we looked at two weeks ago, Paul said every day, I renew my mind. I renew it by looking at truth that helps me to remain in a position where I don't have unbelief in my life. You need it. If there's ever been a time... For us to, to say, no, I need a daily reminder. I need a daily renewal of my mind. It's in this day and age. Because I'm telling you, there are all kinds of things out there that can make us discontent. 
And we need to simply go back to the truth. God is good enough for me. What he provides is enough for me. And I have all I need in my relationship with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth tonight. I pray that you would help us this evening as we move into the invitation portion. God, help us to be willing to submit to this. God, I think every one of us should examine ourselves with this process. And say, is there some area in my life that I wish was different? I wish I had, I wish that wasn't there, that I wish was, was tweaked a little bit. And if, it was, if I could just have it, Lord, I'd just be a little bit happier. Help us to just buy the truth that our God will supply all of our need. Everything we need, we get from him. He is more than enough. Help us, Lord, to, to believe that so that we don't walk down the path, the process of unbelief which leads to all of these other issues in our lives lord i I thank you for the truth and i pray that you'd help us to be submissive to your will and your spirit this evening in jesus name amen we want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com